Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name is Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director, PR Week. Going to guide you gently through another show. Only a couple left of this year, which is sad, but also good. We'll get a bit of time off, hopefully. And um, I've got my normal co-conspirator, Frank Washcook, with me, my co-host. How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on this week, Steve. Another busy week. Sorry about the US in the World Cup. And um, uh, we've got, uh, I've still got a bit of hope for England against France on Saturday, but um, the how, way I'm How back, much hope do you have? Well, if, if we let Mbappe have as much space as uh, he had in the last game, we've got no chance, but hopefully we won't. <laughs> but uh, it's all good. I'm having a bit of a withdrawal day today because. It's the first day without World Cup football since November the 20th. So <laughs> I don't really know what to do with myself. But anyway, uh, we'll chat with Frank about some of the big news stories, the PR Week Hall of Fame dinner, how companies should have prepped for the new Congress, Edelman's job cuts and strategic review, Weber Shandwick and its collective, interesting holiday video from publicists, always fun to see what they do. We'll do a little soccer World Cup update and anything else that catches our attention over the next few minutes. And our guest this week is Beth Foley, who's the CCO and VP Corporate Communications and Philanthropy at Edison International and Southern California. Edison, Beth, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hey, good afternoon. Delighted to be here and, and be in the city. And it's a big week for public relations this week. So um, I'm really pleased to be here with you today. Yeah, great to have you with us. And um, yeah, it has been a busy year, hasn't it? So first of all, tell us, talk us through your role. Obviously, every comms role seems to have a lot of challenges, but uh, but when you're in charge of a utilities company, comms, and especially on the West Coast, it's been an interesting year to say the least, hasn't it? Talk us through it. You bet. I, I work just uh, grounding. I work for uh, Edison International and our largest holding our largest company, our largest subsidiary is Southern California Edison. So that's the uh, utility in the southern part of the state, um, that that subsidiary. We serve 15 uh, million folks, 15 million diverse customers. And and you hit it. The challenges that are facing our communities are are very close to us. And, you know, you don't have to um, wait a day to pick up the newspaper and hear about some of the things going on in our communities and understand that impact even as an electric provider. I, I got to tell you, I remember when I first got into the business and I started supporting some utility companies and friends thinking, you know, is that, is that an interesting, uh, sexy kind of business? And I have to tell you, it's, it's, it's never slowed down. And now um, years later, when we're really having finally the important and serious conversations about, you know, societal issues, our biggest one being climate change, it's really, really refreshing to be working for a company that's been advocating for um, the type of changes we need. They've been doing that for years and it's been great to be with them the past three and a half years. Yeah, I mean, you are literally keeping the lights on, aren't you? So it's such an important role. We've seen um, cases uh, throughout the country where the lights have gone out or water's run out or what what have you. So it's, it, as you say, is a really important role. And you've had a lot of experience at different companies in the in the uh, sector over the years. What would you... What are the two or three things that have been top of your to-do list in 2022 then? The top of the list for this year, you know, I'll just talk a couple from the personnel standpoint. I'll go personnel and operations and sort of our industry. You know, from a personnel standpoint, I don't think there's ever been a time in anyone's career where the workforce 
has changed as much as it has. You know, I've heard some of your earlier guests were talking about sort of earning the commute, and that's sort of this umbrella for just how much things have changed with the workforce and how we engage with them. Because at the end of the day, an engaged workforce is going to deliver best for the organization. So that type of focus, that type of evolution. From an operations standpoint, you know, when I say operations, I mean our function. And I cannot think of a better uh, function to be in than the one that we all get to talk about. It changes um, each year. I mean, it's had, you know, hyper change in the last few. And we get to be involved in every part of the business. And I just think making sure we're relevant and current. So we read, we do a blueprint review each year about are we aligned right? Are we serving the business right? Are we seen as a strategic advantage? And doing that again this year in the kind of climate we're in, and by climate, I mean changes in the workforce has just been um, incredibly challenging and rewarding. Yeah, because obviously you've got a lot of workers who don't have the choice about whether to go into a physical workspace or not. They That's what they do. They're on the front line, aren't they? And then you've got office-based workers where there's the debates about hybrid working, et cetera. How do you balance that? Because I, I can imagine one half of the workforce saying, well, why, why are these folks not uh, getting their up, you know, getting us getting their uh, rear ends into work we go out and, and put it on the line every day um, but then others are saying well you know we proved we can operate efficiently over covid for two years and and there's no real need to how do you balance those two parts of the company the first answer is there's no silver bullet right two-thirds of our workforce just from us two-thirds of our workforce um are out in the field and a lot of them are literally climbing poles right and yeah. a third of our, our workforce um are working in generally speaking a third of our workforce in other locations and when we first went home and and uh you know you saw employee communication go from you know whatever speed it was at to mock 10 or whatever that might be you saw this sort of unintended tension, I think, between the folks who were out in the field and the folks who were home. You know, tension from the folks saying, we have to be out here, we don't have a choice. Um, and the folks who were home, frankly, had their own issues. And I think the criti critical thing for us all to do as humans is have compassion, because none of us know what is in someone else's backpack. And there could be a person who's working from home who might have a more challenging situation than others. So I think understanding that everyone's going through something, trying to be equitable um, and being really transparent and and listening, not, you know, is are just some of the things that we've all needed to do in order to to get through this. And I would just add, I think we have to have and I've seen it uh, more now than ever in my career flexibility to be able to say, you know what, we've never done this before. So we're going to make mistakes and we'll work to correct them. So no one's ever entered a pandemic. No one's ever come out of it. And I think that kind of vulnerability with your workforce, with your colleagues to say, we'll try it, but we don't know if we're going to get it right and we'll change it. I think that kind of vulnerability is, is critical to success. Yeah. And of course, the employees are the first line of external communications as well, aren't they? So you've, you've got to, you've got to get that right from a workforce point of view, but it's also part of your external um, outlook and image to the world. The employees are not like, to your point, they're that first touch. And most of our employees are our customers too. So yes. um, it's, you know, they're that line. They're the ones who really, to me, are the, are, they're the brand ambassadors each and every day. And just your own workforce, we have folks who are out in the field, you know, from whether it's folks from our studio or folks interacting with the media and things of that nature. But the two thirds that have been out there since this all started, um, they're the brand ambassadors and, and staying connected with them in a way that's helpful um, has just been a, a, a critical path. 
So being based on the East Coast, we've seen all these horrific images of forest fires and, and wildfires on the West Coast. Just talk a little bit about that and how challenging that has been, both from a, a company point of view and also from you know protecting your workers as well. Yeah, safety. Um, there, there is no other priority than for safety, first, last, always. And I worked in Northern California some years ago, and um, we had, you know, fire season. There was a time where we were thinking more about wildfires during what was more of a defined season. I left. I came back east. I'm originally from the East Coast, and I worked at a couple different companies back east before I joined Edison a few years ago. And what really shocked me was there was still a wildfire season, but it was something we were talking about from January to December. I mean, if you look at the statistics, 23% more land is projected to burn during summer field-driven wildfires, and wildfire season is expected to become much longer, which clearly it has. I mean, people are living in areas, um, those kind of areas. So protecting our customers um, from those type of situations uh, is first and foremost. But to your point, and I appreciate you flagging that, keeping our employees safe and the others who are doing that kind of work um, is that as a tip of, the, tip of the spear for that. Yeah, it's, um, it's, I can imagine it's, uh, I mean, just seeing some of those images is just incredible. And, of course, the other thing we've had this year is big focus on energy because of the, partly because of the conflict in Ukraine with Russia as the invasion, which has had a, a vast impact on global energy prices and everyone's seeing slightly higher utility bills. How have you navigated that part of the equation as well in terms of your messaging and um, just your corporate reputation? Yeah, I mean, energy bills um, for folks, I mean, that's that's something we spend a lot of time not just talking about, but action. And we work with our, you know, we're, we're also highly regulated and we have a commission and we work with them like the other, uh, like my, my sister companies do in the state to offer our customers programs across the board. We have a population that is uh, vulnerable, at risk, um, those type of things where we look to provide programs for heat assistance, energy bill assistance. I mean, when you look forward to um, the work we're doing in clean energy, how do we get charge ready? How do we provide those kind of infrastructure areas and places where they might be needed most or harder to access? But the the idea of affordability, that's you can't see me or we can't see each other. The air quotes that go over affordability is just a critical topic because folks shouldn't have to make a, a choice. I mean, it's a critical service that we're providing and we continue to do what we can to work with our customers to provide solutions to 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 this. So as we move into 23, talk to, to us a little bit. We, we know that the CCO role is more valued as, than ever. It's more appreciated in the C-suite within organizations at the top levels. You have the license to operate now. It's not just a, a service part of the equation. So what in, you know, given that, the, there's also bigger pressure on you to deliver. So what's on your to-do list for 2023 in terms of what's being asked of you and how you're uh, prioritizing the different parts of the job? Yeah, I, I think what's been so different for me in the past couple of years is this idea of um, the societal issues that we're talking about. Climate change has been something we've been working on uh, this company for some time. And obviously um, the critical issues in diversity, equity, inclusion are part of societal issues. But I've never seen a time in my career 
where the CCO um, is providing counsel, providing recommendations, sitting at the table, having discussions on societal issues. I don't recall that earlier in my career. And obviously, you know, a lot of us has been in the business for a while. There's good gut instinct, but getting educated on that so we can be a reliable strategic partner in areas where, um, you know, we didn't have to focus on. And I'll give one that, you know, the idea there's so much, uh, unfortunate, we see so much gun violence and you see companies commenting um, and having discussions about that type of issue when, um, you know, these are types of things you didn't do in the beginning of your career. So, Steve, just to, to round that one down, I just think the strategic council area in the societal issues is is something that I just see CCOs continuing to hone and a focus for me personally and our organization. And when it comes to hiring, what's really interesting is and, and is that, you know, you want a wonderful communications expert um, and all the skills that we know are the bread and butter of that. But when we're talking to candidates now, it's really their knowledge of what's going on across the world because you can't provide advice about your business if you're not informed about what's going on in the rest of the world. Because when it goes to reputation management, um, all those things are interrelated in a way where there was a wall earlier in my career with that type of thing. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be very interesting in 23, isn't it? And we'll talk about the sort of politics angle of it as well and how that impacts too um, in, when we get into the newsy items. Finally, just give us a sense of the philanthropy part of your role at Edison and, and how much of your time that takes up and what, what are the things you're most proud of achieving there? I'm really fortunate. We have a great team running our philanthropy organization. So I would say always something I want to spend more time on, but very grateful that we've got a wonderful team who's who's running that day to day. Um, we have a wonderful, uh, we, we, we invest about $20 million of our shareholders funds into our communities and seeing that pay results, meeting with the folks who that's benefiting, whether it be in education, whether that be in energy assistance, whatever that might be, that connection, understanding that give back, you can go and connect with uh, any folk, any individual that you're supporting, and I think you can feel better. Probably my best day at this company was the day I got to surprise um, some students that they had won a scholarship for college. And uh, probably was the best day of my career, not just my best day at the company. So that give back um, is just something I'm so proud to be a part of and, and so um, gra- grateful that our company uh, is so passionate about yeah, it's fantastic when when you get to do things like that, and uh, it's one of the great parts of the job, isn't it? So, uh, good, well done on that, and good luck. Yeah, with I aspire all. to give uh, money away for a full time job down the road. <laughs> um, well, good luck with everything in the new year. Lots Thank of you. challenges, and um, yeah, we'll be checking in with you regularly. Let's talk to Frank about the big stories of the week. And first of all, let's talk about PR Week. We had our Hall of Fame dinner on Monday night. Welcome to the PR Week Hall of Fame. You ready? Have a good time. Always a brilliant occasion and a great event. But, uh, yeah, it was really fun, wasn't it? Great list of honorees and a real, really fun evening. It was a terrific evening. And uh, we were joking before that, you know, um, don't get me wrong, our award shows are terrific. But when you have one of these events where nobody loses or nobody who expects to win doesn't go home empty-handed, it's a great night and everybody has a good time. So this year's honorees were Kimberly Good from BMO Financial. My career started... uh right out of college with a PR opportunity at Allstate Insurance. And I remember when 
the hiring manager was a little bit worried about whether I was going to be too radical because I had braids at the time. I'm very excited about the progress that's been made. Thank you, Crown Act. John Harris from ConAgra Brands. And no different than it was in my early days, it remains such a tremendous honor and privilege to protect, serve, and build the reputations of the corporations, brands, executives, and concerns I work with and I work for. And the truth is, I'm just getting started. Billy Mata from IW Group. This isn't about me. This is about people like my staff. I have a great staff at IW Group who listens to me, who puts up with my BS, uh, who always takes care of the things that I think are important and lean in. Donna Imperato, the CEO of BCW. I think about what makes me the most proud, and it's really the success of those who serve the businesses over the years in partnership with me. That brings me the most joy. Those I had the privilege of leading who are now in highly, highly successful positions, both inside and outside BCW. Nigel Powell from Nike. Like others, I came to this industry. I was a student of drama and English, and it was really the joy of storytelling that pulled me in. The power of language, the beauty of image, that sense of wonder, cultural curiosity. But actually what kept me here was the people that I worked with. And that's from whom I learned the most. And Melissa Wagner's working from WE. It's not just PR, right? You know that, I know that. What we do is educate, we convene. We make sure that people understand things that are really new and different. We make sure we seek and we convey truth and we also help companies stand up for what they believe in. And um, I think we are getting better each year in terms of the celebrity cameos that, uh, that the honorees have in their videos. Yeah, what was your favorite? Because we really hit it out of the ballpark this year, didn't we? We had with Nigel Nigel Powell at Nike and John Harris at ConAgra, especially. It's tough to top Serena Williams, I think. It is. Congratulations, Nigel. I'm so happy for you, and it is well-deserved. Yeah, and it's it's. I don't want to disparage anybody else's video because they were all terrific, but it is, it's tough to top Serena. Yeah, Serena Williams was on the Nike video saying, well done to Nigel Powell, head of comms over there. Uh, that was a great video. Uh, John Harris at Conagra had lots of uh, celebrity friends and partners. Uh, John Hamm. I want to thank John for all that he's done, but more importantly, for all that he's done for many other people connecting them around the world. Thank you for what you do, John. John Stamos. As passionate as John is about his career and helping others, he's most passionate about his family. And that's when I knew he was the real deal. With John, it's all about doing well, by doing good, and helping anyone he can. But I was just as struck by the senior business people who turned up to pay kudos to these uh, individuals as well, whether that's CEOs, mentors, and also the families. You know that, and it was great to see the families there and being part of this event. To your point earlier, it's uh, it's one of those nicer events where it's not a competition; everyone's celebrating, and uh, it's uh, good fun all around. And Really six terrific honorees and very deserving and all all very different, but all all gave great speeches. And um, yeah, it was just great. It was it was a real feel good night. And uh, Beth, what were your thoughts on the this year's uh, class of twenty twenty two? Well, I I would just say I sat next to John at an event yesterday morning, John Harris, and uh, it sounds like uh, you guys had a late night 
from from what he told me. And he was also still humming Fame, Bowie's Fame. So he, <laughs> he said to say that he thought that might be your favorite song. But, I, you know, well, it's just, you know, Frank, I appreciate you saying it's great to have a night where everybody wins. But I got to tell you, us coming together as professionals and acknowledging how we support our company's missions. And you think about the work we do I'm from reputation management, but the employee engagement piece, it's just incredibly fun and, 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 and rewarding. Um, John indicated, you know, just, just, you know, from sitting next to him, just what a tremendous event event it was. So um, uh, I do appreciate us taking time as a profession and coming together like that. I think it's terrific. Yeah, it was. It was, it was a lot of fun. John's mom was there, his wife and kids were there, and so were the families of the other honorees. And, um, yeah, yeah, we may have had a drink or two, Beth, but, you know, what happens at the PR Week Hall of Fame stays at the PR Week Hall of Fame, eh? <laughs> As it should, as it should. And I do like the walk-up music because it gives you another bit of an insight into everybody's character. So uh, um, Donna Imperato had Eye of the Tiger, which was kind of appropriate for Donna. Donna gave a great speech and um, that summed her up. Yeah, and we, we, we kicked the show off with fame. Sadly, Irene Cara from the musical yeah. died the other week, so we, we kicked it off with that. And then, of course, we had David Bowie, famous. That was, uh, that was my walk-up. It seemed appropriate for the night since we're talking about fame. Yeah, great night. You can see all the uh, write-ups of the honorees and and videos. The videos. Check out the videos because there's a lot of um, really interesting stuff on there, as well as a bit of celebrity, as we said, Serena Williams and the others. So yeah, good night, Frank. Let's uh, talk about how companies should prepare for the new Congress. Now the midterms are finally done after yesterday's runoff. Well, it's important to say that they still have to do a bit of listening and a bit of research about what is going to happen out there. So, uh, yeah, the midterms finally ended yesterday uh, when the runoff in Georgia was finally called and it went to Raphael Warnock, the Democratic incumbent, beating Herschel Walker. So the Democrats will have a 51 to 49 advantage in the Senate, which gives them some flexibility to operate, knowing that, you know, just one senator won't be able to blow up legislation anytime they want to. So they have more flexibility there. Uh, And that's something that companies have to build into their thinking. I I think a really interesting thing is that Chris Daniels, our excellent contributor, talked to a lot of folks who said companies need to be concerned about being called in front of Congress in investigations. And this might even be things where they don't do anything wrong. It might be about ESG. It might be about uh, contributions to green energy or just connections to certain you know issues that, that might be investigated by the now Republican-leaning House. But we still have yet to see who the Speaker of the House is going to be. Uh, and that's still up for grabs. And there's a lot of um, there's a lot of back and forth happening there in the Republican Republican caucus. So we don't know everything yet. And companies have to continue to be agile and uh, and watch the news out of Washington to see exactly what shape the Republican leadership is going to take. Yeah, it seems like they've, I mean, it, the midterms were not what they expected, were they? And they kind of may, may need a bit of a rethink. Um, Herschel Walker was a, a, a big Donald Trump backed candidate. Um, you saw the the families of the policemen caught up in the uh, January sixth events, and uh, they they made their feelings about the Republican leadership very clear, didn't they? When they went to uh, receive their Medal of Honor, so it does seem like there's maybe a bit of a rethink uh, required there for, for looking forward. Yeah, I think there is, and I think that's that's a fair assessment. And um, 
Look, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how the Republicans adjust to not meeting expectations, frankly, in this this midterm election season. Uh, I think they definitely had plans for the Senate and they had plans for a much bigger majority in the House than they came away with. And uh, on the other hand, you know, the, the former president, Donald Trump, still has so much sway over that party. But the candidates that he handpicked in all of the Senate races almost unanimously got rejected. So uh, how are they going to work around this, knowing that that those kind of candidates are probably not what most people want? So that will be a thing to watch in the next uh, the next two years. It certainly will. Now, Beth, as a, a utility company, you've got to be aware of politics at all levels, from federal, state, city, down to real local politics as well. How do you um, address that, you know, in terms of your communications and maybe your public affairs part of your operation? And, and how difficult is it these days? Because we've got such a febrile situation where, you know, half the country believes one thing and the other half believes the diametric opposite. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we need to work with both parties, local, state, federal, on behalf of our customers, on the issues that are important to our customers. We talked about wildfire. We spend a lot of time talking about cyber. If the issue is important to our customers and our company, we consistently work with both parties and we'll continue to do that. Do you think we're finally getting to a stage where people are saying, look, we just need better civil discourse. We need to be able to agree to disagree and not totally fall out over something. And that maybe we we need to join together on common issues. And the wildfires is a very good example. I think the wildfire, as sad as it is, is a terrific example. And unfortunately, there's a lot of others and we need that bridge. So at the end of the day, we're supporting society. And to your point, you know, to move away where we can from from any kind of discourse like we're talking about. Yeah, I hope to see more of that in 2023. Um, Frank, let's talk about Edelman. They, they're always a bellwether for the industry. They made some job cuts and had a bit of a strategic review. Talk us through what happened. Yes, that's what they're calling it, a strategic review of their workforce um, as they closely keep an eye on the global economic environment. And we know other agencies are going through this as well. And, you know, it's understood that Edelman let go about 130 people. So this is something and this is an issue we're keeping an eye on across agencies uh, and across sectors, but most notably uh, companies with a big technology heavy client roster. Uh, where there's been a lot of pullback over the past few months and a lot of um, a lot of job cuts in general, and we're looking to see how this is going to affect agencies going forward. But again, you know the the economic conditions are uh, kind of murky. Uh, it's not you know a traditional recession lead up. Some you know some parts of the economy are stronger than others. Um, it, you know agencies are obviously affected by this, and you know Edelman is not immune to that. Yeah, it, it is confusing. You're right. We, we, we heard the United Airlines CEO say uh, the other day, you know, the only time I hear about recession is when I turn on the media. He was talking to CNBC and he said, in my day to day and the data we're seeing at United, there's no recession and, 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 and we're very quite bullish about the next year. But then he's in the travel industry, which is kind of rebounding strongly, you know, from the COVID pandemic, whereas others in tech and certainly in our industry, media, that, you know, there are cuts and agencies and other companies sometimes do look um, to re, you know, rework. Maybe they overhired a little bit, so they just sort of tinker things. It's sad that it's always at, seems to be at the end of the year, you know, when people are coming up to the holiday period. What's your take on it, Beth? 
to your earlier point, Frank's earlier point, the way I look at it is folks are getting ready to be prepared for anything. Yeah, it's, I don't think there's a, there's a firm consensus is that we're moving into recession. If you hear, listen to some people, we are. If you listen to others, like I said, um, they, they don't see it at all. So it, in many ways, it's sector by sector. So, uh, But uh, firms are certainly looking into it. Doing the reviews and the PR Week Awards judging this week, uh, the agency sector had another great year. You know, you could tell. Um, it was 20% up last year in the U.S., year over year. And whilst I don't expect to see that across the board, it was it was double digit, double digit growth. So which is good on on top of a really good year. So um, that's a, that was an interesting bell with it too. And sticking with agencies, Frank, Weber Shandwick, another of the top five firms has uh, restructured itself a little bit or is going to market in a slightly different way, the Weber Shandwick Collective. Tell us all about that. It's brought together a new group of senior advisors called the Business and Society Futures. I, I think this is an interesting idea. I think it's a good idea, and this is going to be composed of leaders from, from Powell Tate, from the United Minds, their business consultancy, KRC Research, their data and research group. And I, I think it's a good idea because, you know, you talk to CCOs out there and they say, we're, we're increasingly looking for the top uh, for our agencies and for our top uh, agency personnel to be able to see around corners. We want um, we want advice from them on what's coming next. So uh, looks like they're aiming to address this with this new group. Uh, sounds like a good idea to me based on, you know, our conversations with uh, with executives out there. Yep, and we're about to kick off our agency business report call for data. So uh, we will be digging deep into that in, in the first quarter of 2023. Now, one of the highlights of the holiday season for some, not maybe for others, is the Publicis holiday video, which usually features uh, Maurice Levy and uh, Artur Sadoun, the two head honchos over there. Often it's a bit of a shtick, sticky thing between the two of them, you know, making fun of each other. But it's a little bit more serious this year, Frank, and maybe reflecting the fact that Artur had some health problems this year. Yeah, slightly, slightly more serious, though, with a, with a bit of funny moments, too, including both Artur and Maurice Levy appearing as minions at one point. <laughs> But they did bring in the legendary actor Michael Douglas to talk about just how common HPV is out there. Ça c'est certain. Oh putain, Michael Douglas. Uh, Douglas. Michael Douglas. You made it! Michael! Thank you so much for coming all the way. You have always been so transparent about your cancer. That's because talking about it is the only way to spread the word about the importance of the vaccine, which could save so many lives. And, of course, two of them had uh, HPV-related cancers that they've had to deal with. And they really praised, you know, Michael Douglas for being transparent about his health issues and uh, encouraging others to, to take preventative health care measures. And so HPV was a big focus of this video. And, you know, I, I, I think kudos to them on that. I think that's, uh, you know, it's difficult for people to talk about their own health issues. Uh, so, so credit to them for going out and being transparent about it. And it encourages a few people to be more responsible about their health. Then it's, uh, it, it's a great idea. Yeah, it was a stunning stat, wasn't it? That 80% of, of I think, yeah. men have have potentially got the virus so that that is a, a stat that needs more uh, awareness raising about it so well done to them for using that platform to do it beth how did it uh, land with you 
very well, Gallic my- and very European, wasn't it? But, uh, but Michael Douglas brought the U.S. Uh, uh, taste to it. The, the fact that we're sitting here having a conversation about it, I'd say it's a success. But when you take that kind of creativity, and I, I admit I'm a diehard Minion fan, engaging, <laughs> you know, relevant, um, and you add that to being mission purposed. I mean, I just think those are great ingredients to a, a real successful effort. And again, we're talking about it. So I'd say spot on for them. Yeah, it gives you an, and it gives the holding company a bit of a personality, doesn't it? Which they, sometimes they don't always have, you know, just by their nature, they are umbrella organizations. So um, do check it out. You can check it out on PRWeek.com. Frank, we mentioned the Soccer World Cup or football, as uh, I would prefer to call it. But hey, you know, soccer, football, doesn't matter. It's uh, it's the same game when you get on the pitch. What have your thoughts been about how it's uh, played out in the last week and and how the whole tournament's being perceived, you know? Has everyone in America sort of lost interest now the U.S. has been knocked out? or And what are, what are the latest feelings about the tournament overall? It had some negativity around it. Um, talk us through what you're thinking. I think that people who would just watch for the U.S. team probably have lost some interest. But um, I think people who follow the game are, are going to continue to be very interested in the tournament. Uh, I think there's been less attention over the past few weeks to the human rights issues in Qatar. Uh, I think that has faded a bit as the tournament has gone on. I think the, we, we've, we've seen fewer issues around, you know, the lack of beer in stadiums or uh, housing. Uh, for fans uh, or things like that as the tournament has gone on as well. Um, I I think it's been a strong tournament in terms of there's been a mix of upsets, you know, like the Moroccan team the other day, but also uh, still an extremely strong field of teams left in, you know, almost all of the best teams in the world, uh, you know, minus Spain are still in the tournament. And you could imagine three or four or maybe even five teams coming away with it again. Yeah, the last date is uh, the quarterfinals will kick off Friday and they'll run Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, on Friday and uh, Saturday. And then the semifinals are next Tuesday, Wednesday with the final the Sunday after. Um, yeah, you're right. It's um, And the heat hasn't doesn't seem to have been an, as much of an issue as people thought. So maybe those air-conditioned stadiums are, are actually working. The, the coverage has come in for a bit of criticism, hasn't it? It's Fox is the uh, host broadcaster in the US, and there was a bit of a takedown article. It wasn't The Guardian, to be fair, but uh, what did you make of that, and what have you made of Fox's coverage of the World Cup? Well, I, I think that's... I, I do think that was unfair, because I think that there has to be an understanding that um, when this is being broadcast in the US... You have to broadcast it knowing your audience and knowing that they may not be as knowledgeable about the game uh, as you know fans in South America or Europe might be. And so I, I know there's been some criticism that they have been you know dumbing down the product, but I, I just think that you have to know your audience uh, and know who you're talking to. And so I don't I don't think it has been bad. I think that um, yeah, I, I don't think it's been bad at all. I, I think, in fact, it's 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 been pretty informative in some cases for people who didn't grow up with the sport. So you're a big fan of Alexi Lalas, Landon Donovan, and Clint Dempsey. Well, I think I think my my thoughts on Alexi Lalas have been well known from previous pro- podcasts, so I won't I won't dig in too much there. Uh, but I I think overall the the booth has been okay, and I think a lot of people who are fans of the U.S. team were happy to see Clint Dempsey in this this year because he he remains a big fan favorite yeah yeah 
fair point on that, actually. It was, it was in the Guardian, this piece. So, Beth, have you been engaged in the World Cup? Has it been on your radar? Uh, I credit Ted Lasso for, for <laughs> being on my radar and, and, you know, that being my extent of knowledge before this. But I do give him a little credit for creating some interest around that. And um, I, I, I was one of the folks he talked about, probably far more engaged until the U.S. dropped out. Yeah, it was sad, really, on Saturday. They didn't yeah. really uh, show up, to be honest. And uh, it would have been would have been great for the country for them to stay in for another round, at least. And and as the tournaments in twenty twenty six is in North America, you know, uh, it would have kept the kept the interest alive. And really, the, I hope the US really gets the, their act together and gets a good team in place for that tournament because that could be epic. You know, um, in the main TV market and advertising market in the world. And uh, I think it, you know, it would be great if the U.S. could make a good run. So uh, let's hope that happens. Frank, just to finish, we should give one quick shout out to our founder, founder of Haymarket Media, Lord Heseltine, who is retiring well deservedly after 65 years of service. He's uh, approaching the age of 90. So yeah, talk us through Lord Heseltine from an American yeah, point of view, because the U.S. is now the biggest part of the business. It is, and incredible to think he uh, co-founded the company when he was only 25, so pretty remarkable stuff in and of itself. Uh, Took a break when he was working on behalf of the government and was deputy prime minister for a few years. And um, yeah, he's uh, but he's still going to be involved. He's still keeping a seat on the board, and he'll still be involved in some ways too. So, uh, and by the way, if you've ever had a chance to see him speak in person, it's a really fascinating guy uh, with a lot of terrific stories. So, you know, best wishes to him. He really is, and uh, he's always been very supportive of uh, journalists and content and global um, growth. So, I'm sure he's really pleased to see the way the company has expanded in the U.S. And um, really, you know, now more than 50% of the business. So best wishes to Michael Heseltine on his retirement. Beth, thanks so much for joining us. It's been really great to chat to you and uh, wishing you happy holidays and wishing you a great 2023. Same. Thanks so much for having me on. Happy holidays and be safe. We will definitely try to do that. Thank you, Frank. And uh, just a couple of customer service announcements. Please take our salary survey. We need to get as many people as possible taking that to make it as credible as possible. So you've got uh, till the end of the year to do that. But it only takes a few minutes. So pop over and, and take that. You can you find the link in our breakfast briefing or on the website. Dashboard 25, that honors the top operatives in the comms tech space, which we know is a vastly growing area of the PR pantheon and you can get your entries in to that by the 14th of december we want to uh, identify the power players in that industry so put your people forward whether you're a client side person whether you're an agency or a technology vendor uh, or supplier we want to hear from you and our healthcare awards you've got until the 21st of december to get your entries in for that don't forget Our Global Awards, the first deadline for that is the 12th of December. There's a long deadline for that in the new year, but you will get the cheaper rate to get those in by the 12th. And finally, Women of Distinction is open for entries. You've got until the 20th of January for that, but uh, we know how quickly time flows over the holiday season and into the new year, so make sure that's on your radar. But that's all we've got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. PR Week.